Hello and welcome to the Antifada. I'm Jamie Beck. Hi, I'm Sean KB. I'm AP Andy. And we are here with our special guest today, comedian, podcaster, DSA member, all-around excellent guy, Jake Flores. Hello. So what? Uh, I thought for a second you were going to say DHS member. <laughs> like they had turned him or something like that, you know? Oh, agent provocateur. <laughs> Some personal news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's pretty easy to become a CI these days, and the money's not bad. Probably better than podcasting to become a confidential informant, you know? Just saying. I mean, probably, Wouldn't yeah. know. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, everybody, kn- uh, this is on radio, so nobody saw, like, 17 winks. Is <laughs> <laughs> that 14 beep, winks? Beep. You can hear them. I would like to start the show by asking Jake a question that we ask all our guests here at the Antifada. If mm. you've listened to our show, you know what it is. And that mm. question is, Jake, how pure is your hate today? Oh, it is undistilled, baby. Is that pure? Or is distilled pure? Uh, undistilled, I guess you wouldn't be like futzing around with, you know, what's in it. It's just like the straight, like mainline fucking hatred, I guess. Well, there's a lot of it. And uh, I'm brimming with it. And I don't know how pure it is. Because uh, it's coming from within my body, so it's probably uh, <laughs> laced with all sorts of carcinogens and things. <laughs> but uh, but I have it to answer your question. It's good. That's excellent. It's good to if, hear. If it's undistilled, you know, perhaps it's like um, you know, a bunch of like swamp water, you know, and yeah, it's like yeah. it's like green and it's like bubbling, you know, from all the methane coming from below, and there's <laughs> fucking like lizards and fucking alligators, just brutal fucking creatures. And if you were to take that entire pond and distill it down into one beaker. Like, that would be your hate, but it's yeah. just diffuse right it's now. It's like when someone has wow. a community garden in Bushwick, and they're like, oh, I made, I grew this cucumber in the, the garden here in Bushwick. And you're like, oh, thank you. And then you give it to a homeless person, and they're not there the next week, and you don't know why. That's dark as fuck. Okay. Anyways. Uh... Wow. Wow, babe. We're pretty dark for having just been on vacation at the beach. <sighs> Seriously. I don't know what it was. We spent uh, eight glorious days on the lovely Island of Fire. It was so good. I mean, you would think that our hate would be like a pretty low simmer given what a nice vacation we just had. But mm. like I've been back for almost a whole week and like the things that were stressful for me before have not stopped being stressful no matter how many poppers I do. Yeah. Well, they are Fire Island poppers, Speaking of which... which are the best of all poppers. <laughs> you got to get them from the right place. We were we uh, Jamie went to what was it called? Rainbow Resort. <laughs> Rainbow Dreams. Rainbow Dreams, which was a sex shop in uh, Cherry Grove. It wasn't which only is... a sex shop. I'm, I'm sorry. It was like you tell the story. <laughs> it was like, OK, <laughs> I may or may not be on poppers right now. Um, <laughs> Can you pass that see. bottle over uh, here? <laughs> babe, let's think of our guests. Uh, you're right, let's, you're right. Guest let's first. not be rude, all right? You're right you're oh, right. don't mind if I do. <laughs> Hell yeah. Once you pop, you can't stop. Pop, save America. That's what I say. Oh, there you go. <laughs> pop damn America. How about that? Oh, my God. Yeah, so in Cherry Grove, which is one of two delightful gay towns on Fire Island. Um, it's an island so store. great, it's got two delightful gay towns. They have a store called Rainbow Dreams, and they have, like, souvenirs. They have some, like, kind of glittery, like, drag queen clothes or whatever. They got uh, stuff for the kids. They got, like, beach chairs. And behind the counter, they have just a whole giant wall of condoms, poppers, and lube. Hell yeah. So I was like, well, you know, when in Rome, 
I've had poppers before. Might as well. I thought this would be fun for the whole family, and it was. I think it worked out great, and um, you really get a bang for your buck since it's been a week, and uh, I think we still have a decent amount of amyl nitrate left. Yeah, it's so. an, literally, it's a lifetime amount. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to uh, do the whole thing. <clears throat> I mean, unless you spill it, like it sublimates pretty slowly. I think it will run out eventually, but who knows? So. Maybe it'll be like Hanukkah, you know? <laughs> you would have to be up to something pretty weird to be like, I did the whole jar of poppers. <laughs> You thought you only had enough poppers for one night on Fire Island, but they lasted eight. Um, I, just for the record, I'm a pro poppers comedian. It's, uh, uh, as so- in, like, um, you're pro poppers or you're a pro at poppers? Oh, both. Oh, wow, um, nice. I'm going around giving talking uh, shows, lectures. It's on... like those guys who can vape in weird shapes and, like, <laughs> yeah. just, you just snort, like, and dance at the same time. I don't know. I go to high schools and I rip phone books in half. <laughs> I spread the good word about poppers. He's blowing popper rings out of his nose and shit. Out of his butt, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> blowing rings out of my butt. Butthole right nobody taught. Nobody yet brought up the fact that Anal nitrate loosens your anal muscles, but uh, someone had to. Thanks, babe. Yeah, more like yeah. anal nitrate, right? Oh, Am I right? Cha, 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 I'm sure oh, no God. one's thought of that. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it's just weird that we're doing pop. It's very serendipitous we're doing poppers right now because I'm like uh, I'm, I'm like writing another album or working out the the bits for it, and I'm probably gonna record it in a couple of months. But oh, uh, a Dutch pass, babe. Real nice, <laughs> real nice. But I have a whole chunk right now about poppers. <laughs> And how they and I'm not going to do the fucking talk show panel thing where so you have a joke about poppers. Right. Tell us, this is not the Jack Parr show. <laughs> you don't have to do the whole bit now. But the the bit I should I'll you know what I should do is I should do a popper and then try to do the bit. Yeah, yeah. fuck yeah. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta live your uh, live your reality, man. You gotta. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. As my head starts to feel really weird. Joe Rogan should try these sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it'll bring him down off his weird DMT mushroom shit. Oh like he'll come oh, back yeah. to reality. I got to get him to... I got to ruin Joe Rogan's life. <laughs> great. Please do. But yeah, go on. Well, so, it's just uh, the kind of story that led into me writing this is like, um, you know, I bought some poppers because I live in New York and you can just get them like in like bodegas and shit. And, yeah, uh, it's labeled uh, extra strong formula nail polish remover. Yeah, and let me tell you, I got the nail polish off of my nails. <laughs> Your VHS tapes are all clean. Uh-huh. I don't understand what the controversy is with this drug. Yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, no, Those but bath I, salts they kept selling me, man. I, I don't know. They never worked as you know like Epsom salts. I took they a bunch of baths. I never got high at all. <laughs> like what the fuck? Yeah. Um, but I, so I bought I bought some and I'd heard kind of vaguely, kind of vaguely knew what poppers were or whatever. Uh, just as like a like a weird disco drug, I'm just friends with a lot of like noise musicians and weirdos and shit, and they're you know they're around. But they I don't uh, huff anything. The what? They'll huff anything. Those people. They love huffing. <laughs> um, like but a then slippery slope from uh, poppers to airplane glue to gasoline. <laughs> um. God, that's the, just the weirdest uh, dare essay. Uh, it <laughs> our, all whole starts... show, our whole show is a dare essay. Really. <laughs> but uh, but so you, you you take these things, you go home and you do them, and you have a good time, and then you tell people about it, and everyone just is obsessed with the asshole thing. Like mm-hmm. n- lay people, everyone who's just heard of poppers. Well, 
that is where they come from. Sure, but that's they not what I used to They have a rich cultural history. That's not where the chemical comes from. It didn't come out of someone's butt. I mean, it's, No, I uh, know, but we would not have poppers. We would not have the poppers that we are huffing right now were it not for the LGBT community. I just want to give credit where credit's due. Are you saying it's cultural sure. appropriation? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe just pour some out for our uh, LGBT <laughs> No, don't do it. Don't do it. Don't. It's um, for uh, Elijah. This, this one's for Elijah, okay? I'm just going <laughs> to put that over here. Uh, that's a Jewish It's joke, almost right? Rosh Hashanah. Oh, I don't yeah. know if that's the one with Elijah, because I'm no, a bad Jew. You're really bad. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's not. It's not. As I was saying it, I was like, that sounds wrong. But uh, you know what? I'm going to put this here for Elijah anyway. <laughs> cool. Yeah, but like uh, every, you, the butt thing. And it is. You're right. I mean, that's why they are around, because you know the gay community uses them for sex and shit. But the, you can also just do them like... None of us are using our buttholes for this right now. Like we're doing them as a drug, you know? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> okay, I don't know what's happening underneath some of these tables. I, I just got back Bob. from the bathroom, and I assure you I was only urinating. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I guess the crux of the bit was kind of like, you tell people about this, you know, that everyone's obsessed with this butt thing. I think that's why they're not illegal. Is because homophobia is like this powerful propaganda tool. Like no other drug has just policed itself out of existence. Like the DEA's had to do all this shit where they'll tell you like that, like oh don't do crack cocaine because it'll destroy your life or whatever. You know don't do this is, this is like I'm just doing my stand up right now, but don't do crack <laughs> cocaine. Don't do crystal meth. It'll destroy your life. Don't do heroin because it'll make you really good at the trombone for some reason and then <laughs> kill you, etc. That's kind of the bit. Uh, <laughs> But um, anyways, I've been going around kind of doing stand-up about that. And then, you know, sometimes I don't know how to end a set. So I'm just like, if you learned anything, you know, we should all be doing more of this fucking drug. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. I looked it up. It's actually not bad for you. It's pure cyanide poisoning. Does it really? I mean, you don't drink it. You just huff it. Is that well, okay? Well, drinking it's really bad. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not going to get it in your mouth. If you get it in your mouth, call a doctor. What does it say on here? It says... Uh, nail, nail polish if swallowed, what? drink two glasses of milk or water and induce vomiting, call physician immediately for right. eye contact, flush with water, blah, blah, blah. Avoid prolonged inhalation <laughs> in defined areas. Define prolonged. <laughs> like short if, inhalation is okay. I think you know it's prolonged if you prolapse. Oh. <laughs> anyway, um, we had a good time in Fire Island. Let's uh, we sure did. leave it at that. We had a nice little meeting about our show and where it's going mostly while we were uh hiking the lsd trail oh my god that yeah. was pretty fun just just so people know how a um a workers uh cooperative po- podcast works is um everyone has to go on vacation uh about once a year and you take between a half and three quarters of a tab of really amazing lsd and as soon as you get out of the nightmare area where you get the fear where there's a bunch of bros running around oh fucking god. drunk as hell at like three o'clock in the afternoon that's and their like, version of acid oh my god and once you get there and you get to the <laughs> beach that's when you can have your co-op meeting and decide the future of your small workers directed enterprise <laughs> well, Wait, there are bros at Fire Island. Oh my god! Oh my oh, god! Oh uh, Jesus Christ, fuck. man! There are only people think the whole island is gay. There are only two vacation communities on Fire Island that are gay. The rest of them are like the normiest places you've ever been in your life. There are broy gay men, but I. That's probably not who. It, oh, we saw some of them. Oh, there's plenty Cherry of them. Grove. Yeah. It was yeah. really cute. Because like, it is Long Island. Still. Yeah, it's Long Island gays. So, so like, it's like uh, cargo pants. We saw, so we like saw a couple of bro and... like. This was actually really cute. We saw a couple of real bros in fucking cargo pants and like button down shirts uh, holding hands uh, right by the ferry. And one of them was leaving and the other one was staying and they were kissing and it was really cute. Oh, man. Yeah. 
That's a classic it's New like York love story. Long story. Long Island culture. I mean, it's neither gay nor straight. It's just bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really transcends uh, identity. Yeah, listen, but... it takes takes one to know one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you you can say that because you're from Long Island. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, welcome to our Goth Socialist podcast. Um, oh hell yeah! It's I was very happy to hear that you also have a Goth Socialist podcast. Yeah. The it's, capitalism can't escape the darkness. Mm-mm. And like as Gothic a Gothic Marxism. American, it's very nice for me to have someone on who understands my culture. Hell yeah. I, I also like the title uh, Seven Minutes in Hell, the one of your videos hat, because that's actually something that I wrote on the makeout coffin at my Halloween party last really? year. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you think she's joking about a makeout coffin? No, I don't I don't think you're joking at all. Mm-mm. We will show you fucking pictures. <laughs> there was definitely a makeout coffin. The coffin keeps deteriorating over the years cuz Jamie always throws these really lit uh, Halloween parties. Uh, every year I have to put like some more nails and screws in the thing. Yeah, I think it's it might been be, pretty hard on the coffin. It's been hard on the coffin. A lot of making out, lots of dry humping, you know, but 7 minutes we, in hell. How many people have we fit in there? At once, like a lot. Enough, <laughs> enough. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's still at the Gateway, which means that it's probably in the garbage now because the Gateway is no more. That's like a goth but, uh, version of that, uh, like, frat boy prank where you're like, how many people can we fit in a phone booth? <laughs> right. It's in a coffin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just having a good time in the coffin. Uh, that's what best friends do. So um, let's see. Wait, oh, seven minutes in hell co- is is that old game, like seven minutes in heaven, which was uh, like a game that teenagers would play where you go in the closet, right? And you're like... Yeah. yeah. Finger bang for the first time for seven minutes or something. Yeah. Yeah. You like make out or something. I don't. Has any have any of us ever done it? I mean, I'm I'm almost forty, but I'm willing to try it for the first time. <laughs> oh my god. Well, I have a coffin still, maybe somewhere. So we only played Ookie Cookie in high school. We never did that. Ah, jeez. So um, anyway, to get our minds out of it's the gutter, a, it's a Long Island thing. I understand that you moved from Austin to New York. Yes. Correct. Um, as Everyone who has a leftist humor podcast is required by law to do. Mm-hmm. Um, how's that been working out for you? Do you um, resent having to do that, or is it fun? I mean, it's complicated, but I am very glad I moved and have no intention of ever going back. And uh, kind of um, the political implications there are kind of interesting because you find yourself, you're born in some part of this huge country, you find yourself falling in love with an art form. Then you move to a place like Austin where there's sort of a community for it. And, you you know, you have more of a small town sense of it. And um, and that's where things sort of change for a lot of people. A lot of people go, well, fuck this. I'm not moving to New York or L.A. just to do this thing that I love because that takes the love out of it. And I won't entirely argue with someone about that because there is some truth to it. But because of what I do having um, a lot of, like, political implications, too... I think I get a lot more out of being in New York. It changes stuff. Like, it makes it work, and it makes it not as much fun. But it's really hard to parse out whether, uh, you know, I was having a lot more fun five years ago in Texas because I was in Texas or because it was five years ago and I was, like, 26 or something. <laughs> right. It was dumb and yeah. full of drugs and doing <laughs> poppers Yeah, not like now. Your body is a temple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What I liked about listening to a podcast called pod damn america mm-hmm. folks if you have not listened yet to pod damn america jake flores's podcast it is an excellent funny goth socialist podcast and you should listen to it immediately after the antifada uh but from listening to your podcast it's kind of like i don't want to be condescending now but uh 
I, I don't mind. Okay. No, it's it's really nice. It's like really sweet to like uh, to hear you complain about like rats and like uh, you know <laughs> things being dirty and shit like that. Cause it's like, oh yeah, I remember when that was like not normal. <laughs> yeah, for sure. It goes both ways. I had a friend who moved from New York to um, Texas, and uh, we were hanging out drinking on a porch one time. And uh, I guess I guess your cockroaches don't fly. Oh, up no. here? Yeah, no, they don't. Mm. Thank God. But they fly. Not that I've seen so far. They're called palmetto bugs. Let's not bugs give them there. any ideas. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if it's the weather or the breed or whatever, but they fly down there, and it really freaked out this person I knew because they grew up here, and you you know you live for like 25 years or whatever, knowing that's what a cockroach is, and then suddenly it's just fucking flying. It really freaked him out. We don't know? like them, but at least they stay on a surface, and they don't fly in our faces. Oh, my God. Well, it would be weird. It would be like if you moved to, like, from like New York to like uh, Illinois, and then in Illinois, the dogs fly. Like You already know what a dog is. Like, why doesn't anyone talk about this? Mailmen yeah. hate that shit, man. That's why they stay <laughs> yeah. in their jurisdiction. Um, but yeah, no, I quite like the rats in New York, actually. Oh, cool. I think I was on some level moving here was like, yeah, no, this is like my mecca because I'm, you know, I like garbage stuff baby. That's Are gross. you a garbage baby yeah, like yeah. us? Yeah. You would belong you, here. That's kind of my aesthetic. Oh man, I love it. That's poetry to my ears. All right, yeah. cool. All right. That's, well, maybe that's a, a song that I like to sing about myself sometimes when I'm totally sober. Man, I don't know how we like didn't run into each other yet. <laughs> Should I crossing. sing it? Should I sing it right now? Uh, sure, why not? It's my cramp song. Wait, hold yeah. on. I got to do more poppers. I feel good and I feel fine. I'm just a toilet baby with a garbage mind. Oh! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's us. That's an oldie. Song's about all of us. That's an oldie but a goodie. Mm-hmm. So, the, the, to the point about uh, New York, though, the the reason that there's uh, there's a couple questions at play here with being somebody who moved to New York to do something creative is that, you know, when you do come from another place in this country, you reach like the ceiling of being able to make a career out of something in another place. And then you decide you're going to move to New York or L.A. or stay and, you know, figure out another way to do it. But that happening in and of itself raises all these questions about what is the role of uh art uh, of it in your life of it in society and this is where i think a lot of people go really insane with being an artist on of whatever kind in uh america because or anywhere really the reason you started doing this thing to begin with is because you liked it a lot of people remember seeing something on tv when they were a kid when you weren't a worker or whatever and it just spoke to you in a certain way but then the more and more, the farther and farther you get into it there is uh a heavier and heavier weight and uh, pressure to validate it by turning it into a career and making money off of it. And then that sort of informs everyone's opinion of whether something is successful, whether it's valid, whether it the meaning of it has meaning. You know, it, all this stuff gets jammed into it and it causes you to compromise shit. And for me, I came here honestly really as somebody who th- believed in the meritocracy and thought i'm gonna climb up this fucking mountain and the more i learned about it from the inside and like started hanging out with you know weirdo journalists and stuff and like seeing the ins and outs of the entertainment industry and shit i came to understand a lot more of this like marxist shit and sort of understand how the meritocracy isn't real and uh 
Now, I have no desire to really climb it. I want to destroy the fucking entertainment industry from Hell the inside. Yeah. Oh, fuck yeah. That's an anti-fada mindset <laughs> that right there. That is the oh. based anti-fada mindset. You really made it, man. Welcome to the show. All right. That was, that was actually your uh, your test. We were testing yeah. you right now. You can stay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, well, if I have to leave, I'm going to do a popper first. <laughs> do too. yourself. <laughs> so speaking of making money off of the stuff that you love... I would just like to remind everybody that our show relies on your support. <laughs> and if you want, you can join up on patreon.com slash the Antifada to get access to a decent amount of pretty cool shit, I would say. We have a great uh, Discord community where you can talk to other people who are interested in the same stuff as you about politics, culture, whatever. And, uh, and us as well. And and talk to us, yeah. Talk you, about us, talk that. to us, yeah. all, all the above. We have some bonus materials for our patrons that we release from time to time. We have a new series of standalone uh, history and theory primers that uh, Sean is kicking off with. Uh, his, it's called History is a Weapon. Right. And the first one should be out by the time you listen to this. God if willing. If it isn't, we're in big trouble. Yeah. Because it's ready. Yeah. Um, we got, we're got we doing interviews on interviews. It's, it's great, folks. You should uh, just join it. And I would say, too, that uh, we are now at episode 20 of our podcast, which actually... When you look at something like the Joe Rogan show with 1,167 <laughs> episodes, it seems like uh, not all that much. We are quite pleased with uh, how many people have started listening to our show and uh, have supported our show. So thank you so much to everybody, and uh, we're going to try to keep doing good work. Even if you don't want to become a patron, uh, you can go to YouTube. Uh, we have a channel now, mm -hmm. and you can like our stuff, which helps us to reach more people. And you can also go on iTunes and uh, give us a rating, which also, too, helps spread the Antifada word. Yes, yes. Many ways to uh, get in the Antifada mindset, even if you don't have any money. But if you really don't have any money and you want to be in our Discord anyway, come talk to us and we'll probably let you in. I probably shouldn't say that, but it's true. That's fine. Antifada mindset <laughs> at gmail.com. Hit us we've up. We've done it before, folks, and we will do it again. No, pa Patreon is good because the people that are giving you money want to. It's not, yeah. you're not pitted against them. Yeah, we, we did a survey, and that is the most common reason why they give us money. That was, actually, it was a tie between... <laughs> I wanted to. Why'd you give the classes all your money? I wanted, wanted to. to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fuck that up, but you know what I was going it, for. It was beautifully tied between, like, I wanted to support, like, the, the, the project of Antifada, and also just the more general, I wanted to support leftist media. Which I think both of the like they killed all the other reasons like the yeah. Discord and the pity like pity you know, pity yes pity <laughs> pity for all of us poor souls yeah definitely you know support uh, leftist media whether it's Antifada or whether it's uh, Pod Damn America or uh, any of your local leftist horror goth socialist podcasts uh, mm -hmm. today mm. tomorrow and every day. Yeah, so we had a, a little bit of news that we want to uncover before we jumped into a, an expanded conversation with uh, our friend Jake. Andy, uh, what's going on with the prison strike these days? Well, you might not hear about this on the mainstream media. The bourgeois but, media. The uh, lamestream media. For the second time. The capitalist pig media. In about two years, there's a massive nationwide prison strike, and it's something that started in... Hyde, North Carolina, following a May uprising at Missouri's Crossroads Correctional Facility, and it spread. Uh, there is a, you know, a grassroots call for a August 21st start date organized by prisoners, many of them uh, with smuggled cell phones and in conditions of solitary confinement somehow. And there's prisoners participating in, all over 
the country and even in Halifax, Canada, down through Maryland, North and South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, Alabama, Louisiana, o- Ohio, Indiana, Minnesota, Texas, New Mexico, and California. There's a hunger strike of ICE detainees um, in solidarity in Tacoma, Washington, and solidarity actions are popping up across North America and the world. And there's rumors that there's going to be more strikes starting today uh, in this week. Um, and you can support this by learning a little bit about it, seeing what media is already out there. I am uh, reading right now from an It's Going Down article called uh, Prison Strike Call to Action, Outreach, Agitation, and Connection. They encourage activists to spread propaganda about the strike, including putting up posters, uh, organizing demos, having banner drops, projections. I or... threw in uh, no- noise demos there because that's an old classic one. Yeah, there is a <laughs> noise demo in at the Brooklyn, uh, the Brooklyn uh, prison, the Brooklyn jail um, down in Sunset Park a few weeks ago. Well, when you said noise demo, I thought you meant noise music. Starring <laughs> Pharmacon. Yeah. More cowbell. are supposed to enjoy it just a little bit. It's, <laughs> they're already in prison. Yeah, yeah, no, you're going to give them like Mertzbow, like blaring yeah. through the fucking they, They've suffered stuff. enough. Yeah. yeah, and besides that, you can, if you're a journalist or you have some, you know a journalist, maybe like encourage them to check out what's going on. It should be a much bigger story, obviously. And, uh, of course, even beyond the prison strike, it's always good to touch base with prisoners, write them letters, even to somebody at random, um, and let them know about the strike or ask them how it's going or just, you know, make a friend. And just one more thing, uh, whether you're an anarchist or not, um, Anarchist Black Cross for many, many years now has been doing uh, letter writing campaigns for prisoners. So uh, whether there's a strike or not, uh, there are resources out there across the country uh, for you to get plugged into a situation where you can be actively communicating with prisoners, you know, about the outside world, about their condition, and potentially helping to spread consciousness and uh, just give a a lifeline to people who are in the carceral system right now. Hell yeah. yeah. So here we are on a Sunday, September 9th, and I have to say it was a pretty wild week in the news. Um, You had this Kavanaugh Supreme Court confirmation hearing. You had that crazy op-ed from the, I don't know, people in the Trump administration who are somehow thinking they're doing us a favor by upholding, like, the tax cuts and, like, not letting him nuke North Korea, uh, stealing his, I don't know, horrible fucking policy papers i don't know whatever so like it's been a pretty wild week in terms of uh what we would call here like uh bourgeois democracy and the spectacle around it that is not to say that the kavanaugh confirmation is not important it's only to say that um there are a lot of things happening right now that we don't feel like we have much control over at this moment uh so here at the antifada what we like to do is uh talk about things that we can control things outside of the spectacle one of the things we can control are the socialist candidates, and uh, Jamie might have an example of uh, one of those folks right now. Yes, yes. So uh, as you may or may not know, there is an election coming up here in New York. We've got some great progressive candidates running right now. Some of them are socialists. Some of them are just progressive left liberals. But if they want to call themselves democratic socialists, that's fine. Uh, Bend bend the knee, as uh, folks once uh, said. Yeah, we're... uh, (laughs) We're we're out there doing it. So um, I encourage everybody who is able to vote in New York to vote for Cynthia Nixon for governor and Jumani Williams for lieutenant governor, uh, as well as we have some good uh, good folks running for the state Senate. Zelnor Myrie, I forget what district he's running in because it's not my district, but he's really good. He's trying to unseat one of the bad people from the IDC, the Independent Democrat Democrat Caucus, which is basically Republicans. And in our district, 
uh, in North Brooklyn, we have uh, the DSA's very own Julia Salazar. Hey. Now, shout out uh, to Julia. Shout out to Julia. Now, some, She's good people. You we may have read some her. strange things about Julia this past couple of weeks, and like people ask me about it, and I'm not really sure what to say. I'm like, yeah, she may have misrepresented some stuff about herself in a way that was kind of weird. But you know what's much more relevant to our district right now? We have uh, her opponent, the incumbent, Martin DeLon, who takes more money from real estate developers than anyone else in the state Senate. And he has a long fucking history of voting against tenants and in favor of landlords. So if you live in North Brooklyn and you don't want to lose your apartment because we have lost thousands of stabilized units to vacancy decontrol in the past few years on DeLon's watch, vote for fucking Julia. Know your class enemy, folks, and that yeah. is always your landlord. I feel the same way about her as I do about um, Beto and Ted Cruz back in Texas. Like, you don't have to love Beto, but don't you hate Ted Cruz? Sure. It's true. Yeah. Feels great to vote against him. You know? I mean, yeah. his dad fucking assassinated JFK. I mean, it's was, it was, <laughs> yeah. a real disgusting. I mean, I, I do like Julia quite a bit, but I feel that way more about um, the Nixon Cuomo race. You know, like, yeah. I'm not like, I like Julia, too. I'm not in love with Cynthia Nixon, but she's definitely better than Cuomo. Like most people would be because Cuomo is a fucking horror person. So you know what I say? Vote for the homo, not for Cuomo. Yeah. <laughs> to, to repurpose an old uh, saying from uh, back in the day. Yes. I'm not a uh, fan of politicians. I don't vote often. Uh, but as a class war supporting anti-Zionist Mets fan, uh, everything that's coming out as kind of sketchy about Salazar seems pretty cool to me. So <laughs> I think I am literally going to vote for the first time Whoa, this week. shit. Hell yeah. I am sorry to my anarchist friends listening. Uh, oh, man. The, the, they will get over it, I How think. For the, uh... I waste a lot of my time doing other stuff. It's not a big deal. Not a big hit for me. It's not hey, a you're big probably going to waste like half an hour yeah. voting when you could have been doing more anarchist things. So like, I play a lot of chess online. It's, you know... <laughs> It's not like I'm taking time out of the class. Yeah, how precious is anarchist time? (laughs) I think part of the reason I'm not really religious is because I'm like half Mexican and I was raised by old Mexican crazy grandparent people. Uh, If you're not familiar with the type, they're real weird about their religion. They rub eggs on you while you're sleeping and shit. Light candles to keep the police away it's a very <laughs> bizarre interpretation of the whole thing um it's a really like particularly like gory like metal version of christianity it's all just pictures of the same guy just mid-murder just all over someone's house it's all everything looks like a fucking iron maiden album cover it's all just, <laughs> Jesus, you know, it's very, very weird. They use, like, Jesus is the scariest character in the Bible. It's very odd that he's the hero of the whole thing. He's a monster. They try to kill him. He just keeps getting back up like Michael Myers, just walking around after people faster than they're running somehow. It's very weird. And he's all serial killery about it. You know, he's all like, I did this for you because I love you. <laughs> like, that's weird, right? I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just like, oh, look at it. It's a little fucking weird. It's all... Ah, you know. 
He's all like, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Like, slow down, Gigi Allen. Nobody wants to eat you or drink you or take a dump on your chest or just whatever you're trying to goad us into. It's very strange. Again, not wrong, just weird. I'm just, I just like to pick things like this apart. I don't like offending people. And sometimes when you do material like that, clearly someone's not happy, you know? Uh, it bums me out. So if, you, if you, you're in here and you're offended by that, just know, like, I'm not trying to ruin your night or anything. But, you know, you're in a comedy show. you got to treat the whole situation with a little bit of context, you know? I'm just in here saying things that aren't entirely true, trying to make people laugh. Treat me the same way I would treat you. I would never come into your church and not laugh. <laughs> so switching gears a little bit to um, our guest once again. Who uh, I believe has been called the Elon Musk of comedy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I'm working on some jokes. <laughs> We're going to shoot them into the sun. <laughs> I tried to pull back on my jokes, but it was futile. <laughs> it is like a constant explosion of jokes in my mind. He's really hard to do because after a while you start turning into Werner Herzog. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. He has a weird accent. Um... Yeah. Uh, so anyway, Jake, what originally drew you to comedy? Are you just a masochist or what? Kind of. Honestly, comedy is medicine. And there's a like a real like it's a niche world. And the there's a mainstream idea of it that gets it all wrong. You know, it kind of kind of portrays people as being into the concept of humor because they love to entertain or something. But in my experience, everybody I knew when i started doing this shit in the backs of bars many many years ago i mean i've been doing this for 10 plus years a lot of very tragic people with like deep you know fissures in their souls and and what a laugh does for you is uh you know it really just shoots endorphins into you it's not that really complicated you know i've got like mental illness in my life and my family and stuff i got through bouts of depression and like what do you do when you're depressed or hung over you watch like fucking 1030 rocks right it's because the thing <laughs> physically yeah. makes you feel better you know yeah and then the endorphins of people laughing at your jokes i imagine is also something yeah and uh that shit rules uh it's it's it feels great it's also very cathartic you kind of get hooked on it there's like a lot of different things going on there it's an interesting question and i think it's been beat to death with uh, a million podcasts about comedy or whatever and it doesn't make it any less relevant in any individual comic's life or whatever i mean there is something deeply intellectual there you know it's like asking a serial killer why they do what they do well there's probably some <laughs> weird fucking story you know yeah. from their childhood that created their uh their mind to be set up in a certain way or whatever but i mean yeah it's one of those things that's been in me since i was a kid i used to watch nick at night when i was a child and i grew up in like like southwest houston and like like kind of a shitty like hoodish neighborhood and stuff this is kind of atypical of uh people from that that area or whatever but um yeah i mean it spoke to me real young and i kind of uh started to revisit it when i was um living in Austin after I had moved there to um, to sort of like go to college and then drop out and, um, you know, fell backwards into this thing that then jumped out at me and spoke to me, you know, more than any 
more than any like musical endeavor or anything like that ever had. I oh. think it uh, in your in the Nanette episode, which I listened to, um, you called comedy the inversion of pain. Yeah, and I mean, God, it's comedy is such a fucking funny like obnoxious thing to sit around and get lofty and intellectual and academic about because it's like. I mean, just on the face, are you seriously going to sit there and say something that pretentious about it? But, like, to, like, really give you an honest answer of that, I mean, that's totally where it comes from. Everyone has comedy. Like, you know, there, there are different genres of it and different levels of it. And, and you know, it's for everyone or whatever. But I think the people that are real heads, that are real into it, treat it that way. Like, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's been attempted to be dissected by all these intellectuals you know there's um who's the dead atheist guy uh hitchens hitchens uh, yeah. a bunch of dumb shit where he tried to explain it every think piece in the last 10 years about it has tried to attempt to explain like it in mathematical terms i did this whole podcast about nanette Hannah gatsby in her special tells you oh it's tension and then relieving tension we've been alive for this long no one can really still explain it in a way that is like iron and you know the the whole conversation's over so i think it's a you know it's a really interesting abstract thing that is um it's really un uh, quantifiable and unexplainable i don't know exactly how it works but i can isolate some of the mechanisms i mean of it. would we really want to pull an elon musk and like quantify what's like qualitative <laughs> about the human experience no and you know that's what um, that's what's so great about art is that it isn't like that. Um, it's something that evokes a feeling in you, right? That's what's fun about consuming media or listening to music or something. Um, I think about this a lot when I think about comedy and people ask me these questions. You take, take a look at an art form like jazz, right? Comes up out of these crazy poor neighborhoods and stuff in America. Instruments that are completely meant for other things. People, you know drum up and create this art form and there's so much soul in it because it's not created in a laboratory it's com created out of complete human catharsis and then you know 50 years later you've got these like white academic college professors right. picking apart miles davis's music and going okay so here he's using syncopation uh, it's he a put, he hit the blue note on the uh, <laughs> fifth uh, measure like, you can't attempt to quantify them, but if you're doing that, you're missing the point. Right. The point is supposed to be something for you in your actual, like... So comedy is like jazz. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be quoted on that at all, <laughs> but, like, kind of. Well, um, well, here's another question for you, and this brings us back to the politics, right? So if, as you said before, that, um, you know, comedy is sort of this inverted pain or misery, right? I have to imagine in some way that that's tied up with you becoming a socialist, right? Because what is, you know, pain and misery but, like, our collective experience under this particular social system we live in? So, like, what's the relationship between your comedy and your political beliefs? Yeah, well, so that's a good question because um, I, like – I don't think all comedy is necessarily misery or whatever, but I think there's definitely a heavy, a heavy, heavy tendency with people, at least in this moment we're living in, to sort of uh, tie those two things together. You can also do very intellectual, mathematical comedy that's not like that at all. But there's the reason that there are so many people that are like so closely tied to society that use it that way, like your Carlins and your Priors and people like that. And I, you know, I, I would watch these guys and it would do something to my head and I could never really parse out what exactly what was going on there. But I remember, you know, I started doing stand up when I was real young and also writing, et cetera, and also um, going through a lot of formative things politically. And I was, um, you know, the, 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 
the two timelines of me like kind of coming to understand what I do as a comic and understanding Marxism, anarchism, the left, and all that are kind of overlapping, mm. and they relate to each other, I think, so it's hard to disconnect a lot of the stuff. But uh, I did go on tour one time, like the very first time I went on tour, I went on tour with um, three other people. It was a four-person tour. It was this guy, uh, J.T. Haversat, who's like, his whole thing is he's, you know, he's a punk rock guy, and he booked all these shows in, in punk clubs and stuff. And then Ruby Collins, who was, um, you know, she was this cool chick with tattoos and stuff, uh, she was a bartender, I don't know. She didn't really have a like a thing. Brand. This is before brands, before everyone had a brand, you know. Um, and then my pal Chris Kewis is he's this big fat black guy with an afro. It's real funny and shit. And um, somebody at the end of the tour, somebody was trying to like put together what our things were, and it was like, yeah, the punk guy, the chick, the black guy, and they were like, what's your thing? And somebody went, oh, you're like the poor guy. And I was like, <laughs> wow. The reason they said that is because I was doing all this fucking material about something that I was trying to isolate that was really like funny and interesting to me and unique to me in that point, which mm. is that I was hanging around a bunch of fucking bougie college students. Mm. I didn't have the words for this. I don't know what bougie was at the time. And I was like, what is so funny about the fact that I'm like, like broke as shit and like living like this weird swindler hobo guy and like doing all this crazy shit to survive or whatever. And like, why does that resonate with me as a comic? Why does it remind me of what like Richard Pryor and people like that mm. talk about or whatever? And it, like somehow the, the, the shit all got mixed up. But but yeah, it, it kind of all came together, I guess, in that moment. So we've talked a lot about how it's like not always obvious for people to make the jump. From like, why am I so fucking broke? Why do I hate my boss? Why is this so alienating for me? To like a more systemic analysis or something that we might call a socialist critique. How did you get from A to B and become the uh, socialist thinker that you are today? It took a lot to close the gap. And I also don't think it all happened in one fell swoop, which I don't think it does for anyone. There's kind of myths about being like radicalized all in one moment. But you were the poor guy. That was your brand, was the poor guy. Yeah, but I didn't understand that that was like the same as being black or a woman, or like a right. type of person. Like, right, right. and that's you didn't do a character called Jakey the poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not the same, right? It's never because too late. class is not uh, just an identity, but a social relation, right? And like the backbone of how capitalist society is structured. Yeah, but in thinking about that, like I started to think about, well, wait, why isn't that a type of thing that people talk about? And then I sort of there from there through a lot of late night conversations with other people around town and talking about politics i've sort of realized oh joe, joe rogan dorm room shit uh-huh <laughs> <laughs> i sort of got to like oh there's class blindness and then you know around the same time i i dropped out of college but i had like a jarring experience in college where i was like i grew up poor and then i i kind of thought that when i went to college you know i had these illusions about it being this you know, this thing where you then go meet other intellectuals and you do all this stuff and then you start this great life. I get there and it's like, oh, these are a bunch of fucking children from they're still acting like they're in high school. And it all, you know, it, the perspective like kind of blew my mind. I started to see all the, 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 the things fall apart in this like myth that I had sort of believed in all the meritocracy stuff, um, which are the big myths that they, you know, that they push in, in places like Texas, places like UT. I mean, they're, they're pushing that all the time. And, it, you know, if you're, if you're smart and kind of aggravated, you see it fall apart. I don't know. At the same time, you know, I was working in bars. I'd read a lot. I was reading a lot. I read a lot of, like, Howard Zinn and stuff like that. And I was working a lot in um, the service industry. 
And the service industry, for some reason, made a lot of these things very obvious to me. But a lot of the like the truths that then led to being like things that I can now speak out loud about as like a Marxist or whatever. Even back then, I mean, you get the tinfoil hat treatment if you sure. were like to talk about it and to raise a question. And when you're when you're surrounded by a bunch of other people who treat you that way, there is really something to be said for the company you keep. I mean, if I you know, I had to take risks to kind of get where I am, and I could see myself very, very, very easily having not made it here. You know, I have to say that that tin foil thing um, is not just a place and time in a certain person's life, but it's also a place and time in society. Because if we were throwing around this S word, socialism, whatever that might mean to somebody, right? Uh, Ten years ago, it would be a tin foil hat thing, even in New York City. Right? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and now there's a space for that. Yeah. I mean, my friends used to look at me like I was crazy for talking about socialism or capitalism and or whatever. And now they're coming to DSA meetings with me. So I really do feel like the tide is turning, at least in certain social milieus, you know. So one of the things that uh, this socialism brought you to was uh, really funny Twitter jokes, some of which were a little risque and uh, involved, I don't know, jokes about offing perhaps, uh, you know, government officials and things like that. It's been a few months since your famous uh, DHS visit. How do you think that uh, that's impacted your life over the last, I don't know, what has it been, four months? Uh, well, it was, what, this, it was the day after Cinco de Mayo. So, yeah, it's been about four months. <laughs> for listeners that uh, don't know the story, they can learn about it on uh, any podcast. Yeah. Any podcast. <laughs> yeah. I did every podcast. Every podcast yeah. except for Joe Rogan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that bastard. He did the majority report. Yeah, uh, I did. Real short story. Fucking Jake Flores. He put out a tweet. It was a joke. It was very funny. It was about killing ICE officers. He wasn't serious. It was a joke. DHS, they showed up to his loft. They fucking interviewed. Him. It was really fucking freaky. He went every podcast in the entire world, and uh, here he is today. Yeah. That, is that is that fair? That's like a, yeah, no, that yeah. was good. Right, thanks. You did it better uh, than I could. Okay. Besides <laughs> the part where he was joking about killing <laughs> yeah, yeah, you oh. had that part wrong. This is a safe space for sedition. Yeah, that, that is fair. Yeah. <laughs> After the last episode, like there's <laughs> what else nothing we, we could say that would be worse than that, so it's fine. It's true. It's true. Listen, hand me another popper, and I'll talk about killing the government. <laughs> <laughs> hey yo. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> the thing is getting lit AF <laughs> after hours. After the up all night. Uh, for that. The government made me famous. Like it's hilarious. They uh, it's a real career pop, huh? Yeah. to the shit out of you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is something about like um, there's a like a a way of explaining luck that I think is kind of interesting, which is that uh, luck is a combination of like the opportunity showing up and then you being kind of prepared for it or whatever, and because. I've been doing stand-up for so long, and I'm just diligent and always kind of have all these tools at my disposal. When this shit happened, I was like, well, I'm already I'm going on tour. I might as well use this to promote it, you know, et cetera. I already have a podcast, and, like, <laughs> in a very funny way, it, it kind of brought some stuff together. I also did it, like, I... Mani- deliberately manipulated it to that end because um you know well you should if this happens to you and you're there's a lot of people who know who you are you should fucking let them know what's happening mm-hmm. how the fuck yeah. you might as well because yeah. if i get disappeared or something everyone's gonna go hey yeah. where the fuck did that guy go i'm not seeing him blow up my twitter feed 20 times a day yeah. you know it's like uh the revolution right kind of like you know we don't know when the crisis is going to come along that upends society oh, and makes revolution possible. So we need to be building a mass movement up until then as fast as we can. So when it happens, we're fucking ready. Yeah. Wait. So communist militancy is like our tight five. Yeah. 
you got to be able to do it in the elevator when Letterman's right next to you. And then you're like, all right, so. HBO's better. (laughs) Hell fucking yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I have a a similar experience to yours, and I wasn't able to capitalize on it. But uh, some years back, during a heightened period of struggle in New York City, our uh, anarchist house was raided the day before May Day by the NYPD. It also happened that several other houses uh, in New York City who are also housing anarchists, socialists, communists, or whatever, also got raided the day before May Day. And uh, I think that, you know, we weren't particularly surprised by it. I don't think it was maybe as serious as DHS showing up to your house, except that I ended up in handcuffs. It was pretty ominous. They took you to jail, babe. Yeah. I mean, it's not a pissing contest. No, it's not a pissing contest. But I'm saying that um, the ability to leverage that, I think it's a very, very important thing because um, folks were made known at that time in New York City that – they were raiding houses. You know, we were able to convey that to the media. And it, it wasn't a big splash, but it was a splash enough to let folks know, like, hey, listen, they will show up to your door the day before May Day. They will be there for a quote-unquote warrant from somebody who hasn't lived there from, for eight years, even though they know who you are. And uh, they will be looking through your literature. They will be going through your house and uh, looking at signs and all sorts of materials and stuff like that just to check up on you, right? And, yeah. Um, I mean, to that point, like, you know, I, I will joke about this being like, oh, the career opportunity of a lifetime, et cetera, or whatever. But like the, the, one of the reasons that I did go around and talk about this as much as I did, even though it is tied up with me going, well, I can, you know, get some Twitter followers from this or whatever, is that you I mean, think about this. A couple years ago, all these videos, these police shootings start coming out, right? And a lot of people go, wow, the police just started shooting everyone. Right, like, yeah. You don't have to be a genius to kind of understand, surprise, wait, yeah. now that all these videos are being shared, we're just seeing something that was already happening, right? Yeah. So I think that there's a similar trajectory with the you know, the police state as something that affected me. And just uh, any story like this that might otherwise be cast out of the zeitgeist. Um, there's an it, I, it felt important to me to tell the story just to sort of like alter people's worldviews who may not have this much direct interaction with the police because I used to tend bar. I talked to a lot of different people, the police and a lot of people who were, who, who were affected by them in different ways, had different attitudes about it. And they just didn't know this stuff was happening. They think they're outliers. And so like, you know, one good part of the story to get out, I think is this could happen to you motherfucker. Mm-hmm, That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing that I took away from when this happened with Sean uh, about six years ago now. We were boyfriend and girlfriend at the time. Um, it was never going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> I was uh, I was really freaked out. I was freaked out. I was angry. I was scared. I was like, you can't take my boyfriend away like that. And then I was like, oh, wait. This happens to a lot of people mm-hmm. all the time. And they have no control over it. Like, my boyfriend was involved in radical politics. That was a choice that he made, at the very least. And, like, you know, some people don't even have a choice. They're always going to be terrorized by the police. Right. So it was really a moment where I was, it was like an aha moment. Mm-hmm. Me but, as, like, this, you know, kind of privileged white girl from Connecticut. Like, oh, yeah, this system is fucked. But and so, I have barely experienced any of it. Right, babe. And, like, similar to, similarly to what Jake said, like, like this has been existing, right? Going back to COINTELPRO, the fucking Palmer Rays, the various Red Scares, Haymarket, whatever, right? I think the point is, is that when these things happen, they are tragic, but they happen to, like, 
thousands and hundreds of thousands of people every single year. Mm -hmm. And the point is, if you have the privilege to be able to leverage that, whether that's a platform on Twitter or whether that's like a connection to the news media or activist networks, use that. Let other people know what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. Because the knowledge needs to be out there that uh, if you do speak up, you will be, if not just surveilled, perhaps uh, visited, right? Absolutely, yeah. And you're right about this being like a, a, a gradient of privilege. Um, I've got into conversations about this with um, like black people who consider themselves leftists uh, on Twitter and in real life. And um, there, there's something going on where, I mean, for me, it's complicated because I'm like white passing Hispanic. <laughs> and so like... It, the cops are looking at me as a Mexican and the people are looking at me as white. And there's different shit going on or whatever. America's a complicated place. <laughs> but if you do find yourself experiencing the the privilege to be able to tell this story and to be able to exploit it and to be able to do the shit that got you pinched to begin with, you should, right? That's the proper use of privilege. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think so. It should not be a thing that drags people down. It should be something we use as a tool. Yeah. You and need also, class traders, you need race traders, you need everybody. You know? Exactly. Oh, yeah. And also, even if we are joking, um, you know, just be careful not to say, just think, you know, would I want this read out loud in a court of law as evidence against me of some crime? So that guy on, uh, I forgot, someone tweeted something and now he's being charged with a felony in Chicago. Do you know who I'm talking oh, about? I don't even hear that. Um, I, yeah, I, 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 there's like a, a number of these things that people have sort of sent me and hit me to since then. Yeah, so, so you I, were in charge, but I guess somebody else was for making like a similar joke. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, just be careful. Check out something called security culture if you're new to the yeah. radical world. And just think uh, you know, about not talking about doing illegal stuff, even if you're joking. Don't Listen do to... what Johnny Don't does. <laughs> <laughs> Listen to InfoSec Andy and uh, Comrade Jake Flores when it comes to these things. So a lot of people think that uh, art and politics should not mix at all. That art is some sacred realm. I'm include co including comedy in that, like apart from the social world. Uh, some people, like Boots Riley, think that all art is political, whether it uh, admits it or not. Um, in your opinion, uh, what purpose does humor serve in advancing a political program? And how do you see your role as a comedian, like in the wider social world? Okay, so this is really complicated because there's not really a definitive answer one way or the other, and I think it has to do with the fact that like comedy as itself, like isn't its own medium. It's it's a style of thing that you put onto other mediums, but we refer to it as its own thing because we're often referring to like stand up as just by the the name comedy. Um, but with art in general. You know, there's a real question of whether things should be outright propaganda or whether they should be for the sake of themselves or if those two things can coexist. Um, I think people get them sort of conflated a lot of the times. Um, we have this weird idea right now within, like, mainstream comedy um, that it's, um, you know, you can speak truth to power through that. But to me, a lot of the times, and as I discussed in my podcast about Nanette, by the way, um, <laughs> great podcast. It's often a bit of a facade or a charade or a, something else that rhymes with that. Um, it's often somewhat something that kind of defeats itself. Um, you know, trying to go down the mainstream avenues of entertainment and then say you're speaking truth to power by making. A special that doesn't actually challenge anything because in order to get on TV, you have to appeal to enough people that whatever you're doing can't really be that challenging to begin with. Um, there's also this, you know, a lot of, a lot of young comics believe themselves to be, uh, speaking truth to power, um, 
to the point that it like it 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 deflate like it it, it it destroys the comedy within it. Like, uh, there's an analogy I always try to give people when they, you know, they tell me people outside of the comedy world often say, "Well, if you're gonna do jokes, can't you do? Uh, can't you punch up? That's a, pro- uh, a popular term. Yeah. If yeah. the thing's gonna exist at all, shouldn't it punch up? And the analogy I always tell give these people is that you sound like when I was playing a guitar in high school and someone kicked in the door and went, hey, if you're going to play a guitar, can't you make it Christian rock? <laughs> you <know? laughs> can't you make it my thing? <laughs> and, uh, you know, because what that person is doing is taking what you're doing and saying, can't the love be taken out of this? Can't this not be for the, the thing as an end in itself? Can it be propaganda? And can it be my propaganda? And that gets complicated because, A, don't tell me I should be doing your propaganda. Mm. I mean, even if I agree with your politics, I don't know if that's necessarily the role of art, and I don't know if that's how it gets done. But at the I'm... same time, like, you don't want to be punching down, right? Like, you don't want to be shitting on people for things that they are already being shit on. But that's where that society. whole trauma thing comes back into play because I think people often misunderstand people making jokes that sound like they're punching down what they're not seeing is that person is making fun of the thing that used to be a demon to them but it's spoken in the most lowbrow dumb terms because this is an idiot's art form that an outsider is going to look at it and go you know oh this person's being mean you know yeah i feel the same way about political punk like i obviously i love anarcho punk and punk in general but if a band is just like too assertively political it just kind of kills it for me. Like, it needs to be, even if it's political, it needs to be kind of dumb. Like, yeah. I think the smarter and more earnest you get, I really don't like it. And I think I, I feel the same way about political comedy, too. Mm. Like, um, a lot of the, like, there 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 are, like, some touring, like, explicitly socialist comics who just, I, I mean. Uh, I've never heard of them. <laughs> they, I, I, I saw one in England at, like, a like an occupation. Was it Billy Bragg? There's a few of these people, <laughs> but, you know, they're, like, wholesome and very political, and they, it's usually really bad. Like, Gervais is really bad. He's not, like, a leftist, but when his, his political stuff is garbage. Yeah. And a lot of stuff that our, our baby boomer parents listen to, like Harlan, Bill Hicks, and Larry <gasps> Bruce. Hey, hey, like, hey. I know these are legends, <laughs> but, like, for my standard, like, today's standards, I don't think they're very good. Babe, you got something <laughs> to say about that? Listen, I don't know who Bill Hicks is and Lenny Bruce. I tried to listen to his stand-up, and I was not very impressed by it. But I will say, as Nero took the very tough position on Elon Musk, that I will stand motherfucking Carlin. That is not a controversial position. I don't know. you. Andy is being the contrarian here. The only thing that's controversial about it is the fact that you're a leftist, because most guys I know, especially comics that are super into people like Carlin, are libertarian free speech dorks. Well, I mean, I I think that, again, gets down to political consciousness, comrade. I think that uh, (laughs) if you actually listen to our comrade Carlin, rest in peace, (laughs) that uh, he has some very, very excellent um negative critique i think that ultimately like the reason why i would stand george carlin is because um he does not have a socialist vision in fact if you listen to a lot of his work it's actually very anti-humanist right he's very much of a uh what's a misandrist or like some misanthrope misanthrope thank you it's not so, a misandrist <laughs> <laughs> no the opposite of that actually yeah. he, his, he's like not very woke at all in terms of gender issues he comes up with uh, a mug of male tears to stay yes you're not making not, a very good case for your man here babe let me make a case for my man he wasn't my man but the the thing is that um the socialist critique 
and this is where we get wrapped up into politics, whether it's electoral or whether it's on the streets or whatever the case may be, is that many of us share the same negative critique, which is that capitalism and its states are um, not only historical um, situations that we exist in, but also that they negatively affect the uh, collective human experience of all kinds, of all humankind, and that we should abolish those things and move on to a higher level. Now, George Carlin, if you listen to his material, especially his older shit when he's like old and curmudgeon and about to die of a heart attack, is like very good at the fucking negative critique. Jamie heard it earlier. Like his attacks on capitalism, his attacks on like the bourgeois idea of like rights, his attack on religion, as shallow as that is, his just attack on like the entire fucking system is very fucking spot on. But the reason why like you can't 100% stand George Carlin is because he does not have a positive critique which is what socialist, communist, anarchists have, which is that they say it's not enough to say like George Carlin did, and he pointed out in very hilarious ways how fucked up this entire system is and how like we need to break out of it. Um, it you also have to put forward a program that says like this is how we change the world and we move past it. Carlin was too much of a misanthrope to get past the point where he shit on everybody and everything. However, the seeds of that negative critique could be used in order to put it into a positive program that could then be used as positive propaganda in order to have a proletarian revolution. I agree. And I oh, think that's, thanks. That's quite <laughs> the... Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah, I've got uh, some George Carlin audio that you sent me, it's and cool. it's from a really lit-looking YouTube channel. The, the user's called Joe CP. He's got a sickle and a hammer icon. And it's, Total comrade. It's all in Arabic, so this is some like nice. Arabic C CP party that has uh, George Carlin uploads. The reason for this what, what I tell is you. the reason education sucks, and it's the same reason that it will never, ever, ever be fixed. It's never going to get any better. Don't look for it. Be happy with what you got. Because the owners of this country don't want that. I'm talking about the real owners now. The real owners, the big wealthy business interests that control things and make all the important decisions. Uh, not so Forget right the politicians. The politicians are put there to give you the idea that you have freedom of choice. You don't. You have no choice. You have owners. They own you. They own everything. You can see how this they would lead someone down a Rand Paul hole, they own right? They control the corporations. Maybe. They've long since bought and paid for the Senate, the Congress, the state houses, the city halls. they got the judges in their back pockets. And they own all the big media companies, so they control just about all of the news and information you get to hear. They got you by the balls. The balls. They, they spend billions of dollars every year lobbying, lobbying. To get what they want. Who are the people well, in these audiences? Where do they, they go? They want more for themselves and less They're for everybody else. Garden. But I'll tell you Baby what they don't boomers. want. This is... They don't want a population of citizens capable of critical thinking. They don't want well-informed, well-educated people capable of critical thinking. They're not interested. This is where it gets like non-libertarian. That's against their interest. Right here. That's right. They don't want people who are smart enough to sit around the kitchen table to figure out how badly they're getting fucked by a system that threw them overboard 30 fucking years ago. They don't want that. You know what they want? They want obedient workers. Obedient workers. Go. People who are just smart enough to run the machines and do the paperwork and just dumb enough to passively accept all these increasingly shittier jobs with the lower pay, the longer hours, the reduced benefits, the end of overtime, and the vanishing pension that disappears the minute you go to collect it. And now yeah. they're coming for your Social Security money. They want your fucking now, retirement money. Yeah, that's good. I mean, listen, you can try to, like, be a Rand Paul guy and, like, try <laughs> to fit that into your right-wing libertarian bullshit. But, like, I stand with comrade George Carlin 
in there. Like he is. He, but was it funny, man? But it, the thing is, his his funny. anger was funny. As he got older, he like switched from being just like the seven dirty words guys into the guy who was like observational humor, like your life is fucked. <laughs> you know, he got more and more depressed as as time went on, and got more and more angry. And and people showed up to Madison Square Garden, and his HBO specials were really big on him just shitting on American fucking capitalist life in this fucking hellscape. But like to the point that you made right before we played that, you know, I'm watching this video and I'm listening to it. And I'm, I haven't listened to Carlin in a long time because I, li- I haven't listened to him since I was like, what are the ABCs of comedy? How do I start <laughs> right. doing stand up? You know, he's kind of quantitative shit. Yeah, there's there's uh, you know, I'm, uh, I did, I've been doing stand up for a long time. I kind of forgot. Hicks is another guy who like you got to listen to when you first start. You listen to when you're in high school or whatever. And uh, it's interesting to revisit these guys because they were talking about shit like we're into. Yeah. But I'm asking myself when I'm listening to this. Why are so many people in my world so revering of this guy, and why aren't they socialists right now? Why are they liberals? It doesn't make any sense, right? And I think that you hit the nail on the head when you said that he doesn't offer a positive vision after that. It became the art form in itself just to do the negative shit, just to complain about it, and then you're kind of cool. And that that back in the day with comedians used to look like you're an intellectual guy on stage, you're pacing around, you're smoking cigarettes and shit, and now it's been transferred to... Now it's the speaking truth to power thing, because that also doesn't offer a how do you fix it at the end. It just congratulates you for kind of feeling like, well, we recognized it. Well, maybe that's the difference between that kind of comedy then and... You know, I don't want to toot her own horn, but like, say, like what Chapo is doing now, you know, because they have I the agree. same anger and they have the same negative critique and they have an answer for it. And that's the thing that really jumped out to me when I was reading the Chapo book. Like, they don't have all the answers, but they have much more of an answer than Carlin did. Not right? only do they have an answer for it, they have an, a way to get that answer out and an avenue in which to get it into people's ears. Because another reason I think people in the entertainment industry don't end up becoming big vocal megaphones that talk about the answers to these things is because is that the the industry itself is constructed in a way where you have to be a capitalist you have to be Mm. pro-capitalist and it's such a hard thing to climb that as you're making all these moves and climbing it you are then readjusting what you're doing to the degree that when you finally get something you just act like you believed in capitalism the whole time it ends up with you being a liberal it's really hard to maintain to hold on to your integrity and get to the top of this thing you're going to do the 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 listen liberal thomas frank thing where you're a professional class dickhead at the end of it you go well this must have worked yeah, or people will try to attack you with it, like, oh, you call yourself a socialist, and yet you are making so much money on Patreon. How do you square that? It's like pure fucking lifestyle politics. But, so, Jake, you're not, like, uh, you're not purely a political comic. You tell a lot of jokes that are funny without being political, and you hang out with uh, all sorts of other comedians and podcasts that aren't political, but are, you know, also very ironic and... Um, uh, <laughs> Come Town. We're talking yeah. about Come Town, right? Yes. I'm oh, sorry, I didn't want to you dance. You said around. the keyword. <laughs> it's fine. Uh, well, we recently read an essay on irony and jokes by the Frankfurt scholar Jay Posadas, <laughs> uh, in which he criticizes irony, uh, and a lot of political momentum from the left that we're talking about comes from this like merciless, merciless insulting of centrists. But does cynicism help build a socialist movement? Or can it also just, like, help us feel better about how much the world sucks? Um, okay, a couple of things to that. Uh, one, I mean, we did just listen to a clip of George Carlin speak very deliberately about this stuff. And to your point, 
It wasn't very funny. It was cool, yeah, but it wasn't, wasn't really comedy. No, no. <laughs> I don't do a lot of beating people over the head with political views I have on stage. I have a podcast for that. I don't do it on stage because the art of comedy, or at least the art of stand-up, to me, is that the truth lies in the subtext. So mm. the thing that's implied in any joke you're doing, that's like the essence of it. I think that's what a lot of people get wrong with comedy, where they like to go on stage and just go like, you know, cis, white, male, or whatever. And it's like, <laughs> no, write a good joke that implies those political leanings you have. But if the joke is magnetism, which is M, and then you divide it by the tension, and then you increase the tension by a factor of four. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, I, I'm comedy's Elon Musk, man, apparently. <laughs> the world's greatest comedian, the George Carlin of our era. Uh, sorry, what was the second part of that question? <laughs> I'm a dick. Uh, I mean, like, irony, I think, can show, like, how absurd the world is and how it's ridiculous that people like Elon Musk have so much power, but can also just make us feel, like, a little bit better by making fun of them and not changing anything. Okay, so, um, yeah, I mean, that's fine, and I think that that is the tool that can be used in, like, the, you know, when we're making these shows for our audiences or whatever, but um, to talk about whether irony should or shouldn't be used, um, the dirtbag left is this coin that's been uh, this term that's been coined for a lot of people around the Chapa world and a lot of people you know involved in the, the circles that we run in, right? And the thing that I like about that is. <sighs> We're nerds, okay? We're into this political shit. We're talking to Fuck each other yeah. about this stuff all day. Mm. It's you, true. It's true. But we're trying to start a massive movement. Mm -hmm. We're trying to get a lot of people on board with us, right? The thing you need to understand is that the only people that are this persnickety about jokes <laughs> are people like us. <laughs> you go, out, go on the road, go to these funny bones, go do stand-up around the country. All these people don't give a shit about punching in different directions. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Blues Brothers when they're behind the chicken wire and they throw bottles at them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. Well, if you were to do woke comedy out in like Ohio, then it would be the reverse. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, throwing I'm... bottles at you for being problematic and stuff. <laughs> I, mean, I, yeah. I don't want to be like the shrill SJW in Too the late. room, even though I feel like I always no, am, no, and it's no. like, no That's fun, but whatever. It's just my life. It's fine. I accept my it. life. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I don't know. There, like, there are some jokes that are just like racist or sexist and shitty, and like, I wouldn't want to see somebody tell them, and I wouldn't want to have them on our show. But so, that, like, like, but, but Jake joke is half Mexican, so he can't be racist. <laughs> so I can say the N word. You know? <laughs> no, uh, this is the the thing is like jokes in themselves can't really be one thing or the other it's all it has to do with all this context who's telling it who are they telling it to are you doing stand-up in an audience with a random group of people coming in or are you making a podcast where everyone who downloads it knows that they're getting into there's all yeah, this you stuff that plays there into is it. such thing as a racist joke though right yeah but there's a you can tell a racist joke in the spirit of irony to someone who also is like on the same level and gets it in the spirit of irony and then it can be a very like bonding experience between you and your friend what what if neither of these people are white in this hypothetical like thing i'm talking about you know i mean this is stuff that's mired in white guilt i think a lot of this shit i mean i think it's good that it's not okay for people to be racist openly anymore but is at, that, at least but, in let most, me, but like, that's that's where irony circles. comes in because you're not being racist like who's the target of the joke that and, matters and hold on hold on jokes don't have targets like, it's but... hard it's hard because like on the one hand you know we do a podcast i tell jokes on it sometimes i get a little blue with my humor <laughs> and i'm sure there are people who might be offended by something i say at some point in time like you see a lot of maniacs tweeting stuff at contrapoints all the time about shit that she says on the other hand like 
I know that there is such a thing as damaging humor and like the stuff that makes just because something makes people laugh or it's like, quote unquote, funny by whatever standards we currently have doesn't mean that it's not like mean and shitty. And like, I don't want to be that kind of person. I don't want to serve that function in the world. So like, how do you walk that line? Oh, you're speaking in objective terms. That's why this stuff is so confusing because you're saying like, or like any a, a reasonable observer, shall we say, like, here's an example. This isn't a joke. But it's a thing that happened. Like, we had a poster for our uh, DSA formal for a party that I was helping to throw, right? Somebody did a poster with some little cartoon people on it. Uh, we put it up. We put up the Facebook event. Someone commented, it looks like one of the people on the poster is in blackface. Can you change it? And, you know, I, I guess I could have jumped to, like, DEFCON 1 and called that person a wrecker or whatever. But I was like... No, no, I'm going to click on her and see who she is. First of all, she was actually black. Second of all, she was like a real person and a member of DSA. And all these things like are called context. Account. So like, I was like, you know what? I'm not black. I don't have her experience. If she thinks this looks like blackface and she doesn't want to see that on our poster, then like it takes nothing away from me to fucking change it, you know? Yeah, well, absolutely. But the thing is, you just told a story that has a fuck ton of context to it, and that's what's important in that story. But before that, when you were talking about in like abstract intellectual terms about jokes being racist in and of themselves, that's an entirely different thing. I mean, if you're talking about a political poster you're making in the DSA, it has tons of consequences that are different than if I go on like fucking come town and say yeah, something. Or like jokes that would be, would be perceived as racist by like a reasonable observer, which I will admit is not an entirely objective let, thing. Let me jump in here for a second because I don't claim to any sort of like salt of the earth uh, experience or whatever, but working in the uh, New York City building trades suffice it to say that every once in a while there is a some spicy uh racial ribbing that goes back and forth between people you know it's about white guys with small dicks or it's about black guys with big dicks or it's like very sort of you know coarse uh sort of sexual racial humor that goes back and forth it's not it's not always about degrading one particular worker or his ethnicity or whatever, it's because one of the ways in which you overcome difference in that context is by, instead of erasing it, is by confronting it with humor and with irony. And so the Guyanese guy who's not Jamaican, you would call him Prastaman, all right? Because, like, it's funny because he's different from, like, the Dominican dude who's, make, who's like, making a joke about the entire thing because he smokes mad weed and stuff like that. And, like... In the particular environment that I work in day in and day out, that sort of humor actually is a way of kind of like acknowledging difference, but at the same time, like pulling back and saying, like, we can joke about this. And in this particular context, it's like not a big deal. That's why so many offensive jokes come from war and people that were in like platoons and shit together. Because if you're going to like die next to somebody, you got to be able to ease that tension. Well, people die in our business all the time. And you have to trust the person next to you. And one of the ways in which you build that, I'm not saying it's right, I'm not saying it's great. I'm saying you have to contextualize it is that there's a lot of coarse humor, a lot of it misogynist as well, right? Which is a way of like you and the person next to you who may not come from the same background. It could even be Italian or Irish or whatever the case may be kind of ribbing each other and breaking balls in order to gain some sort of like mutual understanding and, and trust out of comedy, out of irony, so that you can work together in such a way that like you've come to a common understanding of your difference. But like if, 
something's falling on you, that guy is going to grab you and like throw you out of the way and save your yeah, life. Yeah, I mean, there weren't a lot of people like in the trenches in World War One. You know, your friend's dying. He's got a, he's riddled with bullets. You got to like you know hack off his leg or something. And you're like, okay, so what's funny about cis straight white men? Okay, <laughs> wow, life is so easy for them. I got this great bit about it. You know, <laughs> I'm just saying like it's... you don't have to be like a bourgeois neoliberal out of touch person to like care when someone says something racist or misogynist but we're, but to you. But we're talking about like a horrible system Well, listen, we're, we're talking about two different things. I, I think it's important that we isolate them. There's the jokes that we tell amongst one another, um, you know, in our day-to-day lives that, like, I mean, comedy is, like, part of the human condition. Like, we all do it on a day-to-day basis. There's a whole different thing, like, Jake's life and all these comedians' life where you're up on a stage and you're telling a joke, like, as an industry, as a form of entertainment. I'm selling it as a product. So there's one thing if I'm, like, selling a racist joke. But if I'm talking about the way that humor works in all the different facets of my life, it's different every single time. I mean, sometimes you're talking about, like, you know, making a, a piece of media or a piece of art and putting it out there and that has all these impacts of like who's going to hear it and stuff like that but where it comes from within your soul i mean sometimes you're on a long road trip with someone and you say something to them that think about this what about inside jokes something that doesn't even make sense to, to people outside of the in group like if you're on a long road trip with somebody and you mentioned some dumb thing you saw three towns back or whatever and it's the thing that makes you guys both crack up and roll mm. on the fucking floor laughing well then you can sort of see how the joke is a synapse in between you two you know things and that is you know where it lives and that's what the function it serves or whatever but that's not how we think about jokes when we write these think pieces and essays about like these things affecting society and if, as long as we're talking leftist shit here around a Marxist podcast, I mean, if you want to talk about culture and having this effect on shit, we should really think about the whole Marxist idea of the superstructure. I mean, culture sure. is this shit up above society that is the fumes coming out of society. It's the end result of it. So a lot of this stuff, a lot of these arguments about whether things punch in different directions and whether they affect society for good or bad are really moot points because, you know, this stuff doesn't really that powerfully come back and change society it's the end result i want to i want to isolate that because i think that's actually like uh brings us in a really great way to the to our next uh segment i think we all agree on that part yeah for sure like i just i don't know i maybe it just makes me sad when i see this stuff reflecting how far we haven't come but then again like there are there are some things that we clearly I don't know. I had this conversation with Andy the other day, like when we were kids, like it was totally normal and socially acceptable to like make shitty jokes about trans people. And like that was probably the first time that any of us even heard about trans people was when someone made a shitty transphobic joke. And now, at least in some sectors of the world, that's not acceptable anymore. And I think that is a sign of progress. And you know what? Honestly, I talk about this culture shit a lot of times with lefties because they have different views on it. A lot of people think culture doesn't run, run uh, downstream from politics or upstream or whatever. Uh, it's one way or the other. And it is kind of both. Um, and I'll say this. I uh, have been working on some events with like um, sex workers um, in response to SESTA-FOSTA. And Respect. one thing that actually a lot of these people I talk to will tell me is no there does need to be a cultural fight because that's exactly how we got here with like trans issues yeah and stuff like that. i mean the more you joke about like dead hookers and shit it might not do the most but it kind of spreads the message that hookers are like a little less than human 
I don't know. You think? I mean, in some obviously case by case basis, but in some scenarios. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of on the fence about that one. I mean, I do think that we got like when you look back at the things that you and your friends and everyone in society would say that, uh, ten years ago regarding trans people and et cetera, uh, LGBTQ sort of stuff altogether. You see this gap, and then you wonder, well, how do we get there? And part of that definitely was maybe a cultural shift. Um, it also might be that we've grown individual. Like, you might be looking at a younger version of yourself, though, because kids are usually pretty barbaric because they don't fucking know anything, you know? Mm-hmm. That's true, too. Well, like, even even if it only does, like, a teeny tiny bit. Like, I've written about this before. Like, but if, vul- if vulgar Marxism explains 90% of the world, the other 10% isn't nothing. And I'd rather have my part of it be positive than negative, you know? But that's spoken like someone who probably doesn't like comedy that much because you're like, it's like the Christian rock person going, I, I, I don't listen to any of this music, but if you're going to do it, can you put my thing into it and just change your entire band you worked 10 years on? Listen, you got I saw me. this. I hate comedy. I saw this. I, <laughs> I, 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 I exist only to kill the jokes on this podcast. I am a humorless feminazi. <laughs> you have me pegged, I don't sir. mean you hate comedy, but I'm speaking as someone in an in-group, like as someone that makes it and has to confront this shit and talk about it every day. I saw this incredible uh, Hoja-ist uh, comic the other day. Uh, he was uh, joking about bunkers and pillboxes and shit. And the strength of his propaganda was so strong that even though it wasn't funny, it had me cracking up because uh, he was joking about anti-revisionism and uh, <laughs> talking about the class line. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it might have been stand-up. It might not have been that funny, but the propaganda elements were so powerful that I laughed to myself. <laughs> Which is like the the entire like uh, argumentum ad absurdum of this entire thing, right? Which that ultimately like if you want to be a a political comedian, you have to somewhere find the line, the class line, the line where uh, comedy bleeds into your political work and vice versa. And in terms of this base and superstructure shit, like it was never meant, as 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 far as I'm concerned, to be a a strict division between the base and the superstructure. In fact, it wasn't that one followed from the other, but that they were in dialectical um, relationship with one another, right? So I think it's entirely possible that we can have um, blue uh, humor, blue comedy. We could have things that are on that edge of being risque. But um, as long as somebody's not being physically hurt, or um, even as long as it's uh, pointing to some sort of tragic or hilarious aspect of the human condition it's addressing that and i don't think that as human beings unlike posadas would argue right we will always have humor we'll always have gallows humor we'll always have like humor that tries to find the difference uh, and the distance between people and try to bring those things together so i i don't think we're going to solve this issue today but i will (laughs) say that i think there is some way that jamie's position and your position could be reconciled right if we spent enough time on the algorithm I tried to explain uh, humor, uh, but it was futile, you know? But I think well, it's yeah. a dialectic, right? Well, what I, it's a dialectic. What Jake it's said futile. That I think is, what Jake said that I think is so important is that he's actually doing work with sex workers, listening yes. to them, yeah, trying to fight SESTA-FOSTA. That's what's really important is that people yeah. care that sex workers are being mm-hmm. murdered and yeah. that this legislation is putting them – uh, their lives at risk. That's what's most important. Yeah. Um, For every cop that you kill, you get to tell one dead hooker. <laughs> so, oh wow. So if people cared, if people cared about them the way that like you know uh, vocal people started to be very vocal about um, trans issues, and suddenly making a joke about trans people is just not funny anymore. 
then the the problem is solved because comedians won't tell those jokes because they're not funny anymore. Right. I think the groundwork then changes what the comedians get reactions to and what even registers as funny within your mind. Like, hateful shit probably was funny to me when I was a kid because I didn't know any better, and now it doesn't even make me laugh anymore mm-hmm. unless it's in this very specific way where it's ironic and it's we're making fun of the idea of the thing, and I wouldn't do that. Honestly, this is like weird that I get into this stuff all the time because I sound like a free speech edgelord or whatever. My act is all about doing poppers. Like, it's not <laughs> edgy at all. I don't do shit yeah. about marginalized Speaking people. Speaking of really. the edge, babe, can you pass that? I want to go back to yeah. the edge. It's hard, it's hard, man. Like, I've made some jokes. No, it's easy. You open it up and you put it in oh, one yeah. nostril. <laughs> Bottom line, like, I don't know. If you feel good about the jokes that you're making, right, and you know that you are a politically aware person and you're like not a racist not a sexist then uh that's probably good enough on the other hand if there's like a whole bunch of people with a different experience than you who are saying like this hurt me in a way that you maybe didn't realize then like you should be willing to reevaluate i don't know well i mean i I agree not you you in particular but like us in general but from my own experience like that that's why I do stand up for a, like an audience that I've sort of aggregated myself. Like the people who come to see me are going to know what I'm going to talk about. And I don't like, I don't really do a lot of shit that challenges any of those ideas in regular stand up because your audience is going to be barked in. And I don't, I don't want to offend people like that. I don't want to run the risk of that. And it's not worth it to me. It just feels like shit. Like I've done it before when I was younger, when you just like try out being mean to people for the first time, you know, to see how it feels for most people. It happens in high school. I was too much of a loser to even be able to try it in high school. So for me, it was like after college, when I started writing for vice, you know, like (laughs) all of a sudden I'm like, I feel like a cool chick for the first time in my life. And I'm going to turn around and shit on some nerds. And then a little while later, like I knew, I kind of knew that it was bad at the time. And then a little while later, I was like, "Mm, that didn't feel great. Maybe I won't do it again, you know? To move things forward, I think that um, one of the things we've been kind of dancing around and one of the things that we want to touch on is uh, what Jake's been talking about with the, you know, the not just the social pressures, but the systemic pressures upon comedians within that particular world in order to, you know, act and react in a certain sort of way to the crowd. I'm very interested in this sort of comedy culture because similar to what Spencer Rapone was talking about when he was talking about the military, comedy is something that we can kind of peek behind the curtain a little bit when there's like an expose on like (laughs) entertainment tonight, you know, and we kind of know that these comedians, they live this world where they tour together and there's like these managers and they go to like famous comedy clubs and shit like that. But like, what is it behind that curtain? Like, what are the powers? What are the structures in place? What are the institutions that are there that sort of makes comedy today what it is? Um, in terms of like uh, observing and analyzing small in groups, uh, I like to be like a Michelle Foucault about it. Uh, what is a school? Ooh, it's a prison. Uh, what is a prison? It's a prison. Mm. Comedy? It's a prison. It's a panopticon. <laughs> yeah. The panopticon is the audience. Uh, you're doing stand-up in a like, in the round style, yeah. in the round yeah. stage or whatever. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Are you, though? <laughs> oh, God. Talent. Maybe. Are you going to get dark and existential like Elon Musk? <laughs> it's like a volcano. Yeah, we buttered him up with poppers now. This is the real shit. I'm full Let's of poppers. I'm ready to talk about my fear that the audience is all robots. <laughs> that might have been Fou- the secret of Foucault's genius. <laughs> <laughs> 
for me, this is obviously a perspective thing or whatever, but, you know, I feel like a lot of media has been made of the lives of comedians in the last 10 years. Ever since Mark Marin WTF came out, that kind of became a, a sellable thing, you know, picking apart the lives of these people that's supposedly so interesting. I find it kind of hack. I kind of got really... Yeah, there's really... a few TV shows about the lives of comedians. <laughs> it's fucking over. Like, it's so boring now. Who gives a shit? Um, but... That being said, that means you should have learned. We should have learned as a society everything there was to learn about that. And I think, in true Western uh, American fashion, the one thing that probably got left out by nature of the mechanism through through which the story was told is all the capitalistic shit, all the entertainment industry stuff, all the the job, it, it being a job in itself. Um, and that's taken for granted, right? Yeah. And you can, you know, you watch Louis, and, oh my God, this guy has, uh, you know, all these crazy complex feelings about having kids. And you watch Mark Marin do stand-up, and you're like, wow, this guy has all this interpersonal angst about masculinity and stuff or whatever. But for me, having done stand-up for a long time and worked within, you know, the structure of it as an industry, I found, I find it really weird that I, I, that there aren't more people that are outright challenging of a lot of the uh, the business aspects of it and the capitalistic nature of it, and I honestly am like am being treated within it by by a lot of people as kind of a uh, you know a, a pest or something uh, for even bringing the stuff up because I think that the entertainment industry itself. You know, it's it's for rich kids. I mean, what is being an artist professionally yeah. in America? It's, yeah. you know, the other people I know that are intellectuals about it and could sit and talk about all this lofty stuff, but they're in Texas on a porch somewhere getting drunk right now because they're not, they didn't move to New York or L.A. to, like, actually try to do this. And Well, here's something I just thought of on the spot because I am a deep comedic thinker is um, if you're going to be, if you're going to be a, a unionized comedian, you really need to fucking make it to get into SAG, right? There's no, like, actual, like, formal workers' organization for stand-up comics who are touring around the country and some collective sense of, like, solidarity, right? Yeah, they're right? independent Not at contractors, all. Right. right? That's yeah. part of the thing. That's, that's got to be a big part of the, the life, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, there won't be, there can't be. Um, part of it is because, you know, the work we do is so unquantifiable in a lot of ways, like... You, that could have maybe existed back in the 80s when every stand-up kind of did comedy clubs or whatever. But now, I mean, all my friends that have, like, TV jobs and shit came up through unpaid bar shows and stuff like that. And so how do you form a union based on an art form that people do in their free time for drink tickets? Um, do you talk to people that own these bars? I mean, yeah. it kind of doesn't make any sense. Um, and also the culture of it itself is, you know, very much like you're an entrepreneur, uh, they sell you that. Um, there was uh, there've been a couple attempts to sort of like unionize, but it, I mean, there's no solidarity because they were all pitted in such uh, um, competition against each other. Wait, so you're like all other uh, workers under capitalism? You're in competition <laughs> with one another for uh, very scarce job slots? Yeah. <laughs> well, wow. there was that uh, underground cell of armed struggle comedians, the upright citizens. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny that they're called that because they are the worst perpetrators of oh. all this shit. Oh, yeah. Oh, spill I, that tea. I've heard about them. Yeah. Spill that tea. Come on, give it to us. Well, they, you know, I mean, they've come under fire before for not paying the people that, um, that perform at their... Uh, their, their theaters 
and it, it's there's so many things to UCB. Like on top of that, they won't pay you. Um, they also basically run a pyramid scheme. I mean, that you take classes there. It's essentially Scientology. Um, there's levels to it. Do they sell supplements? Because um, yeah. I'll buy some. <laughs> I mean, improv classes. It's okay. no, same thing. Babe, don't buy their supplements. You have to buy our supplements. Oh yes, so that um, we sell some. Everybody, um, Jake uh, might be very fascinating, and he may be a. Uh, great podcaster on pod damn america but he does not have dr antifada's brain bomb <laughs> which is guaranteed to cure impotence and increase your brain fold 75 percent or your money back within one week well that might help with the poppers that we're doing <laughs> oh it's mostly poppers <laughs> oh it is the poppers Oops. cut that out i wasn't supposed to That's say a secret, our secret formula, formula our dr secret antifada's formula. brain bomb and nail polish remover mm-hmm. just come to fire Involve island and, uh, it's for all Oh. The UCB also, you know, famously this year opened a new location, causing a bunch of people to go, wait a minute, why don't... Because they've always said, oh, we can't afford to pay our students or whatever, Classic. or our performers, but you can afford to open a new location. Um, they don't accept cash at their bar, all this stuff. Um, they also, you know, somebody, this guy Seth Simons wrote a really great piece about when they opened their new location in New York because they were just taking all this money and putting it back into their own business. And he sort of asked them the question of like... Um, you know, when you look at people performing on your stage, do you ever wonder, do you ever go outside and look at see, look at other people in the world and wonder, hey, there's a guy on a ladder. Do you think he might be funny and he might have a different <laughs> type of joke, like a different thing to contribute to the concept of comedy? They really isolated this argument that, or this truth, I think, that like comedy's bougie. You know, the people that make it onto SNL and things like that, these are rich kids straight out of college. Yeah. The only people that can afford to go to UCB are people that like, can't afford to go to UCB. That, it's you know. like an unpaid internship, right? Like yeah, journalism. It's like that with, yeah, I mean, this feeds into the next thing I was going to ask. But, um, I mean, while you were talking about that, it just made me think about the current model that we're using, our uh, Patreon uh, subscriber-based model. And in many ways, it's bad, right? Because you have Don't to fuck do it up. You have to do it for <laughs> free for a while before you get paid. But, like, you can hypothetically have, like, an alternate system for getting paid and if you do it as a worker-owned cooperative like we do here at the antifada you're not exploiting anyone but yourself i kind of think the patreon model actually is good because um you know if you get to that that ten thousand listeners or ten thousand fans that'll buy everything you do that, that's a, a saying among like artists you know is like all you need is that and then you're set and that's a much different goal than i want to be the big fucking star at madison square garden yeah. you know, like, like when i uh when when we started this podcast when we first started it and i posted a picture on instagram someone was like oh cool you're getting your own podcast i was like no, I'm making my own podcast. Right. Like you don't have to wait for someone to fucking give yeah. it to you, and that's what's so good about this. That's why you know what I noticed this week is there's this big trope among um these kind of bougie comedians and Twitter people or whatever that like to make fun of like podcasters, which is funny. I mean, one thing that I do as a comic to try to combat this is that I very openly tell people that I work in the service industry and that I deliver pizzas or work at a bar or whatever because when you do that, when you do that, you take away something that um, we were all operating under without having known it, which is that there's an assumption that if you're an artist, you're only legitimate if you're a professional artist. Let me tell you a story. This is a fucking hot story, tell right? Tell us, tell us. This Give is it to a us secret. Hot, baby. Give it to us hot. Okay? There's a comedian who is very funny, who I like, 
and is like what I still think she's one of the best comics in New York. I don't think that uh, you know people's personal morality and their comedy acts are necessarily like <laughs> you're really explicit. burying the lead here. But go on. <laughs> so a friend of mine, when he first moved to New York, he was at a show. And he sees this comic on stage. She's Judy real funny. Judy Gold. <laughs> <laughs> and he Shout goes, out to Judy Gold. Right <laughs> the show. And, uh, and, and I, I moved to her around the same time, and she was fucking wrecking, right? And he goes up to her afterwards, and he goes, hey, you know, you were great. Um, my name's Boop. Um, and <laughs> she goes, um, uh, oh, cool. Are you a comic? And he goes, yeah. And she goes, how many times do you get up? This is a big question. Comics all ask each other. Are you getting up a lot? Wow. You have to keep getting up to get your to yeah. keep the act like primed or whatever. It's like some popper shit. Yeah. She, was, <laughs> she was like, how many times do you get up a week or whatever? And he, <laughs> he goes, uh, he goes, well, you know, I just moved here. Um, I work three jobs. Uh, you know, my girlfriend here, we're moving to the apartment or whatever. But I still get up about like three times a week or whatever, which is a lot still. And she goes... Oh, I sorry. I thought you meant you were a comedian or whatever. And she turns oh, around, right? Oh my god! Because they all worship the grind. They got all this shit from like the Chris Rock oh, and the, yeah. I, the meritocracy. Is thing. working hustle, three jobs hustle, hustle. not a grind? No, yeah. they think the the grind in and of itself is you, you're a comic if you're doing as many spots as possible and completely throwing your life away. At but how is that right? possible well, if they're passing a hat around? All right, check this out, right? So that comic was Michelle Wolf, right? Oh, oh big reveal. And she's really funny. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But the thing you don't know about Michelle Wolf, she's a communist. No, she used to work on Wall Street. Oh. So she had a lot of money. And then, as the story goes, and tweet at me if I got this wrong or whatever, but, you know, she got, like, laid off or the company dissolved or whatever, and they had a severance package that lasted, like, a year. So oh, yeah. just free money in New York for a year. Fuck yeah. And I... Can't stop reiterating this. She's really funny. But how do you think she got that good at the thing? Yeah, right? it's the same thing as, like, the Strokes, you know? The Strokes were a great band, but they were also a bunch of fucking rich kids. Right. And, like, how many people with that much talent never got to be the Strokes because they didn't have any money? So we can challenge those cultural norms if we all sort of come together and start going, well, if we all identify ourselves as workers instead of quote-unquote artists, then the one person in the room that it's a quote-unquote artist very obviously is a fucking rich person who's going to blow past, who would normally blow past us and get congratulated for it as having worked harder than us at the thing we're all doing. Otherwise right? known as a scab. Well, we call yeah. them, uh, on, the, on the other side of that coin, I think it's important to be open about how you got to where you are. Like... Uh, I'm not a member of the 1%, but I did have a lot of help from my parents when I was just starting out in the world. And, like, I tell people that openly because, like, in the writing world, it's the same thing. Like, nobody fucking talks about that shit. And you can drive yourself crazy wondering how somebody was able to get to where they are and do all the unpaid internships without that, you know, X factor that just happens to be your parents' money. Yeah, right. freelancing is the exact same. It's a rich kid's game. Like. Mm -hmm. It's you can't if you make a living freelancing, you're either like incredibly talented and driven or you just have the money to only get that short income or or you're like extremely fucking broke and do a few different things. Yeah. But there's different make ways it but... work. like like I've been doing for a while, but it's not uh, it's not easy and it's only getting worse. And I'm kind of out of the game now and it's sad, but it is what it is. At the end of the day, folks, uh, this is neoliberal capitalist hell world. And uh, Antifada is doing its small part in order to 
enliven the debate about what is funny, what is unfunny, <laughs> what is poppers, what is unpoppers, what is um, revolutionary, and what is not revolutionary. So at the end of the day, um, raise up your popper bottles, <laughs> open that little twisty top. Don't take, drink it. Don't drink it, please, please. <laughs> Whatever you do, do not drink it. Take one giant dragon to one nostril, take one giant dragon to the other, and as that feeling hits you, just think of the imminent proletarian revolution of comedy. I'll pop to that. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>